Hey, Ronil. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, really excited to, to dig in on Audius, uh, your company, and some of your background as well. Um, but, you know, it, it's a pleasure to have you. I've had a number of people in the crypto space now, and I'm starting to get involved with uh, more of these apps that are kind of ready for regular users. So uh, you're building basically, correct me if I'm wrong, like the SoundCloud, uh, but built upon crypto. And from my perspective, like there's not too many reasons not to jump the boat and move to this new cool platform. Uh, so, you know, thanks for, for coming on today and excited about what you're building. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, and and uh, yeah, I can I can give you the the little brief overview. So, um, Audius is a digital streaming service that connects fans directly with artists and exclusive new music. Um, and that direct bit is kind of the key difference between Audius and and things like SoundCloud, right? There's uh, because Audius is fully decentralized, uh, owned and operated by the users who use it, um, operating nodes, uploading content, uh, coming to consume the content um, the like audience is able to connect artists and fans directly in a way that they never you know have been able to interact before so um, so yeah we're, we're super excited about it um, I think the the SoundCloud analogy is is a pretty good one to help folks get their heads wrapped around this but like the the broader vision for how audience evolves over time I think diverges quite a bit uh you know I I hope we can be uh, a a lot more than SoundCloud was I guess is how I'd put it (laughs) yeah totally I get that that it's like you know the stage one is to kind of match the competition and the existing uh companies and platforms that are not on crypto and then in the end obviously the goal is to leverage the uh, advantages that crypto provides as far as like a structure and a business uh, to make it more advantageous for the artists, for the listeners, et cetera. So I'm excited to see what you guys roll out in the future and are already kind of starting to. Uh, but I thought that was an easy way for people to kind of wrap their minds around what Audius is today. Uh, totally. bef- yeah. Before we dig too deep into Audius, I uh, want to spend some time covering your background. It sounds like a pretty interesting story. Um, let's go back like as far as you can. Uh, you know, whether it's growing up or, or whatnot, and then to kind of discovering crypto or, or Bitcoin in, in college, I understand, and kind of go from there. Yeah, so, uh, you know, I'm Ronil. I'm one of uh, the two co-founders of Audius. And, you know, I kind of, I was born in Los Angeles, actually. Uh, my, my parents, uh, after moving around the country quite a bit, kind of settled there. Um, but then soon my family moved to uh, the Washington, D.C. suburbs, uh, McLean, Virginia, uh, in, in uh, the Virginia side of the D.C. suburbs. Uh, and that's actually where I kind of did most of my growing up, I guess. Um, uh, and, uh, you know, I always kind of was, I guess, both a software engineer and very into music. So I, I played drums for many years um, and ended up sort of realizing that I think I didn't have the natural talent that you need to uh, be successful professionally doing something like that. So I, I ended up stepping away from it. But the thing from that that time in my life that I did hang on to was uh, tinkering with and, and building software. So I kind of got involved in this uh, Hackintosh community when I was in high school. So basically what a Hackintosh is, is a uh, Windows PC or like a Wintel PC. Uh, uh, you could think of it that way, um, running mac os so there's a way that you could kind of muck with uh the internals of of mac os to get get it to run on commodity hardware um and that was sort of my first like time really sort of playing with computers from more the engineering perspective and less the like playing video games perspective i guess um uh but uh yeah i kind of continued doing software engineering stuff um ended up uh uh, going to school at stanford and moving to california um to do that and and that's also where i i spent a lot more time with uh my co-founder forrest who uh, uh we now work together on um on audius and uh yeah i guess it was actually in high school, or sorry, in, in college, Forrest and I, among a group of friends, started this little like mining operation. Um, what was interesting was we were able to, um, because the dorms on campus had free electricity, we were able to buy 
like secondhand cheap hardware that was like not profitable to mine with, but it was profitable for us to mine with because our cost of, uh, you know, cost of operating these things was zero, right? So um, it was just sort of a, and you know, uh, I guess you know, arbitraging the university's resources perhaps, but um, that was actually really my first foray into crypto. It's not like I read the Bitcoin white paper and was like, oh my God, this is game changing. It was like us as a group of friends were like, here's a cool way to get some beer money. Like, let's let's try this and see uh, see what we can do. Um, and that's what sort of sent me down, I guess, uh, uh, you know, wanting to learn more about crypto, et cetera. Um, but sort of did that for a few years, was also doing software engineering work. Um, when I finished college in 2014, um, me and, and a, another friend from that group actually started this like Bitcoin peer-to-peer payment product. Um, so it was called Backslash. It was like sort of Venmo for Bitcoin is kind of the easiest way to explain it. It was like a social layer on top of just a simple Bitcoin wallet product. Um, we grew to like 25,000 or so monthly users, but like couldn't really figure out how to grow past that um, and, and ended up winding down the project about a year later in uh, early 2015. Um, and, you know, I think in retrospect, it was, it was a variety of things that caused that to not work out. But the biggest one was that like people don't want to send Bitcoin to each other, right? Like all of our users, when we talk to them, we're like, I really want people to send me Bitcoin so that I can accumulate more of it, right? Um, but if you have one side of a two-sided marketplace, it, it's it's not going to work, right? So, um, you know, a good lesson, a good learning. Um, I ended up spending after that, a couple of years at Kleiner Perkins, the venture firm uh, covering crypto for them. So they formed like a uh, a seed practice that was focused on a, a number of kind of early stage areas that they felt were a little bit too early to uh, be doing, you know, series A, series B, series C stage investing in, but um, were still sort of um, uh, interesting and wanted to be able to like start to participate in, right? So um, I did uh, uh, join the seed for Lightning Labs when I was there, like the um, uh, Lightning Network company. Um, I also kind of helped advise on and, and worked on in, uh, some of the later stage crypto things that happened like uh, Align Commerce, which rebranded as Veeam uh, later on this cross-border crypto payment product. Um, but I don't know. I kind of got the itch to go build stuff again. Uh, so I ended up leaving Kleiner in uh, mid-2017. Um, and that takes us kind of to uh, to Audius now. So my co-founder, Forrest, and I actually had had this idea in like 2014, 2015 or so, um, you know, when we were actually when we were working on uh, that Bitcoin wallet thing I, I told you about, um, we were just both big electronic fans. And we saw all of our favorite creators at that time getting kicked off of SoundCloud, um, not being able to monetize on SoundCloud, just having this very antagonistic relationship with their platform. Um, and we kind of asked ourselves, like, what if you could create a, a platform for sharing music that's owned and operated by the users who make it valuable, right? Um, and at the time, we concluded the tech didn't exist to do that. Like, we would have had to be, you know, I don't know if you were uh, uh, familiar with any of the companies from like that era, but most folks were literally like forking the Bitcoin code base and like building their own blockchains to like go after these kind of application specific use cases. Um, and to layer on top of that, we would have had to build our own decentralized file system of sorts, right? Um, but between 20, uh, uh, 2015 and like early 2018, when we started Audius uh, officially, um, you know, IPFS and Ethereum both kind of entered uh, entered the community, entered the chat, if you will, right? And uh, gave us a, a set of tools that actually made this thing possible. Um, yeah. It's a great story. I appreciate you telling it kind of from top to bottom. Um, a number of areas I, I want to dig in. Uh, the first, going back to your Stanford days, you mentioned the introduction through mining uh, and that you were basically arbitraging, you know, the, the power was coming from the computational power and electricity was coming from the school and you're getting rewarded uh, through this mining. 
I haven't spoken with too many people who are mining back in those days. Like, can you paint a picture of, of what that was like? Like how much reach was a Bitcoin worth back then? Uh, how much are you receiving in exchange for the mining efforts? Like, how did you decide, you know, you were going to do it? Was it just like as simple as the fact that the, the work was basically free and, and the Bitcoin, however nominal it might be, was pretty reliably coming in? Yeah, so it was actually, even by the time we started mining, which was like late 2012 to 2013, um, it was no longer profitable or, or even like feasible to mine Bitcoin with commodity hardware. Um, so we were actually mining these S-Crypt based uh, altcoins. So think like Litecoin, Dogecoin. Um, there were like a bunch of others at that time too. Like I don't even remember uh, what, the, <laughs> what the names of all of them were, but uh, there was basically the way that this would work was um, if you had like S-Crypt mining hardware, there were so many S-Crypt based coins and S-Crypt is, is just the hashing algorithm. Uh, and, and, you know, that's, that's different from like the SHA uh, uh, hashing algorithm that Bitcoin uses. So it requires like different hardware, but for anything that is S-Crypt compatible, you can use the same hardware on all of them. Uh, there were literally these mining pools that you could join that would calculate the current profitability to mine a given coin and then like switch for you. So you could point your miners to the pool and say like, I will just mine anything S-Crypt um, and pay me out in Bitcoin because I actually don't care about any of these other random coins. They, they just, my hardware is just better suited to doing this. Um, and uh, they would, you know, calculate and switch between, you know, mining Dogecoin and Litecoin and other things, but actually pay you back Bitcoin, uh, interestingly enough. So, um, I think we were already entering the phase of like more professional centralized mining organizations, like especially in, in China and elsewhere. Um, but on uh, these more fringe currencies, it was still possible like as, as a random individual to like earn meaningful amounts. Um, now we were earning, when we were earning Bitcoin, it was like in the you know, in the earliest days, like the tens of dollars per Bitcoin in the later days, I think the hundreds of dollars, like we were kind of mining all the way through um, that precipitous uh, uh, kind of explosion of Mt. Gox or precipitous, maybe is not the right word, but uh, you, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure, you know, kind of the, the, the way, like, you know, a lot of people thought at that time, like, you know, this, this like might be the end for Bitcoin. Like this, like, uh, is, this is really bad, whatever. Um, but so we kind of mined through that whole cycle. Um, and then we decided to sell it all to go on an awesome spring break trip in 2014. Um, so, so, uh, you know, we basically, we went to Honduras and did a bunch of scuba diving and had a great time, this whole group, but, um, so we didn't earn a ton of money doing it. Now, had we held on to that, it, would be uh you know a lot more today but uh, i don't think any of us have any regrets uh we had a lot of fun on that trip so you know uh we're 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 all good with it but it's just funny in retrospect to think about you know we were like 20 and 21 years old and had no business like you know managing assets like that right like we we're you know we were just like oh money like let's spend it let's have fun you know um, which is yeah it's, it's quite funny um but anyway yeah sorry that was to get back to your question it was really just um uh there were different sort of there were different tokens that you could mine but we were converting everything back to to bitcoin um and we were able to run it was it was sort of like commodity gpu hardware actually very similar to like how people mine ethereum today right uh it's it's buying off the shelf amd gpus um and uh uh running them you know, in, in sort of a like high availability, high uptime way. Yeah. So it's interesting. You're basically mining these lesser known coins. I mean, they're relatively well known now, but not Bitcoin, like Litecoin and, and Dogecoin. And then you're trading them immediately for Bitcoin. So that's like a pretty good setup and you're making this Bitcoin. It's like in the tens or maybe hundreds of dollars, which is, you know, at the time might've just seemed like, you know, like you said, like beer money, uh, and then you go and spend it on the spring break. And like, it's nice to hear that, like, you're able to like laugh that off now. Um, I think there's a certain like characteristic of certain people that enables people to do that because that's, I, I don't know if everyone that you were working with, and it sounds like most people are taking it like pretty much in stride, but it's actually like a pretty tough thing to get over. Like everyone wants, you know, 
even if you forget like getting like super rich, like I think most people would like financial freedom, myself included, to be able to do what you want. And, you know, not to the same extent, but I can kind of sympathize. Uh, I bought Tesla like about a year ago uh, or whenever it was like in the low 200s and put a substantial amount of my, my money on it and basically knew that it was unsustainable and was just looking for kind of a quick hit. I was pretty confident. And then I ended up selling the vast majority of it in the 300s. And then like, you know, it went up to 2,400. So it's like, I could have made like 10 X instead. I made like 50%. It was still good. I actually did similar thing. I went and traveled the world, um, quit my job and traveled the world. So I have no complaints. Uh, and I look back at that and like, I think I take a similar stance to you, which is like, you know what, you know, I, I learned to some extent a valuable lesson, like always hold a piece of something that, that you believe in. Um, or at least something that seems interesting and, and you have some conviction in. And then on the other side, it's like, you know, you're going to live the rest of your life regretting selling something too soon and not making enough money. Like that's probably not the best approach. How do you think, like, did, did you get over that, you know, right away when it's going to a thousand and then 10,000 and as of this morning, 15,000? <laughs> yeah, it, it's a, it's definitely a, a, uh, a, a, pretty cool day that we chose to be talking about this right um yeah man i the way i see it like i have a roof over my head i i get food every day like you know more money or less money would not really materially change my day-to-day -day life right it's just uh uh you know kind of a it, it you know could have been a neat thing but it you know it, it doesn't I, I'm not losing over uh, any sleep over it, uh, uh, you know, if, if that's kind of kind of what you're asking. And like, I think all of us who, who've been in crypto for a while have like, you know, screwed this up so many times, right? I, I definitely didn't learn the lesson on, on our spring break trip. Like I also had uh, uh, gotten a bunch of ETH just literally to play with it when Homestead came out when ETH was like, you know, 50 cents or 70 cents or something. I don't even remember. You had to go on Poloniex and like do all this nonsense to um, to actually buy it because it didn't trade on like any any larger um, uh, thing. And then when it was like 12 bucks, I was like, oh my God, this is so much money. Like, you know, uh, uh, like I, you know, just pulled it out then, right? And now ETH is obviously we know where it is now. So I think my my takeaways from all that maybe were, were different from yours in that I just realized like I'm probably not a good trader. <laughs> like, you know, I, uh, 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 you know, I, I just enjoy building stuff and, and being focused on that. So like after those two lessons, I just don't, I never sell anything. I only buy things. Um, and then it actually makes your taxes a lot easier too. Right. Because if you never sell things, you're never having to think about that. Right. You just, uh, keep accumulating, keep buying and see what happens. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. No skin off my back, I guess. Like, I, I think it, I'm just, I just feel fortunate that I got to live through those times and, and be a part of sort of the community that has formed around our space. Yeah, it's awesome, man. I think you mentioned like, you know, you're not a trader, you're, you're a builder. Uh, and it sounds like you did kind of learn the lesson after a couple of times and now you're, you're taking a more, you know, whole long-term approach. Um, but I think like, you know, it's cooler for, for everyone to have you building than just trading and holding anyway. It's, it seems like, you know, that's going to come to fruition nicely with, with Audius and, you know, whatever else you go to build in the future. Um, so let's talk about something you built in the past. You mentioned Backslash, um, kind of the Venmo for crypto uh, or, or maybe only for Bitcoin. Uh, but regardless, it seems like you were... Um, you know, you said you had like 25,000 users and it just wasn't, you know, Bitcoin. Uh, I've talked about this before, but like my personal view is that, you, you know, you mentioned no one wanted to give it away. Everyone wanted, they're like, yeah, pay me in Bitcoin, but I don't want to give you any Bitcoin. And I think that's really just because it's not functional as a medium of exchange yet. And my personal view on like the evolution of money is that it needs to establish itself as a major store of value. Like, you know, we see today the price going up 10%, you know, overnight, basically. That's not something that people would want to use as a medium of exchange because it's too, you know, the opportunity to hold it and make money is too great. But ultimately it might flatten out. And I think the Venmo for crypto or Venmo for Bitcoin idea could actually make some sense or, or you know, some alternative of that. 
uh, and then you thought of like the idea for Audius you mentioned even back in those days, but realized, you know, it's, it's too early and this is going to be really hard. and We're going to be wasting a lot of time on infrastructure and like foundational stuff. Um, so, you know, let's wait. Do you think, uh, I mean, was there any kind of perspective gained from doing this Venmo type of app too early that you realized like we need to wait until the right time on this idea? Or was it more of just like a personal thing that you guys weren't ready to start something new? Um, how did you go about like pocketing this thing and then ultimately realizing when the time was right? Yeah, so that's a really great question. Um, so I think, yes, it, it really did influence a lot of, um, you know, our, our later thinking towards, you know, how you build products and how you think about markets, I guess. And, and that's actually something I was really looking to gain perspective on by working in, in venture capital for, for a bit. And that was why I chose to, to head to, um, uh, to Kleiner Perkins, like after, after we kind of, uh, finished the wind down process for, uh, for backslash. But the biggest mistake I think we made was like, so it was, it was this friend of mine, Paul and, and I started, uh, backslash and, and sort of, you know, built the whole product, shipped it, everything else. Um, you know, he and I had a bunch of Bitcoin and we're like using it to pay each other back for, for stuff, right? Like literally we'd go out to dinner and be like, oh, I'll just like pay you with some of the Bitcoin. Cause like, I mean, part of it was we had no money, like actual money <laughs> to, to pay for things. So we would like use use our like Bitcoin bags to, to do so. But um, uh, part of it was also, you know, I, I guess like, our intuition for backslash was like, if we do this, like other people might want to do it too. Um, and that intuition turned out to be false, right? Like there were very few other people actually wanted to do that too. Um, and uh, uh, I think it's almost like, what is the narrative around Bitcoin? Like you don't, you don't pay each other with gold, right? If Bitcoin is, is sort of, it's becoming this kind of like digital store of value, digital gold kind of a, a thing. Um, that's not something that you would be using as like a medium of exchange per se. So I think the biggest lesson we took away from this was just that us wanting something doesn't mean that the world wants it um, and, and kind of, you know, figure out what the world wants before you go build it <laughs> was sort of the other side of it. Um, and, and as much as I want to say, like, you know, with Audius, we had this like great premonition that like, oh my God, this, this is going to be like, super cool thing and, and whatever. And, uh, you know, today we have reached a level of scale that's, you know, dwarfs backslash, right? Like there are 1.2 million plus people that use Audius every month right now. Um, like, you know, that's still, it's not like we like knew that this would happen, right? We had this intuition, but the difference was this time we actually went out and like talked to people about it and tried to understand like, what are the problems that like it, is this actually something artists like broadly feel or is this just something that like our friends who happen to be music producers are like telling us like, you know, that, that they're getting screwed over. Right. Um, so I think that was the biggest takeaway from it. So I, I do think we had to go through that journey to, to get to here. Right. Um, and, and that all of that learning kind of made its way, made its way over. Um, do you kind of, uh, uh, I don't know. I guess like, you know, I'm, I, I'm just happy that, you know, we, we ended up where we are and we have the chance to kind of do, do what we're doing today. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it kind of, I think the most important thing is you just sort of, you have to actually like internalize what you're learning and, and what you're seeing and be able to like act differently in the future from, from how you acted in the past. Right. And that's a super useful perspective, I think, helpful for a lot of people who want to start companies in, in an early space or in crypto specifically, um, especially when you're talking to some of these artists and understanding what's broken uh, in the current music industry. What were some of the things that stood out? Like I know part of your guys, um, you know, one of your core things is like your anti takedowns that, you know, people had music taken off soundcloud like you might have mentioned that um you know that's not something that is good for the fans that's not something that's good for the artists what were some of the things that came up in those early diligence type of calls yeah i think it, it that was the symptom but that was not the problem right the the problem with the way that things were set up previously was that artists never had a seat at the table right basically these platforms 
they're, they set themselves up to kind of like mine artists and creators and even like record labels for value, right? They were like a resource to be squeezed for, for value. And that value was content, right? The more content they could get out of these folks and onto their platforms, uh, the more fans they could bring in. And that's what sort of helped their business, right? Whether it was advertising primarily in the case of SoundCloud, and then later they rolled out the subscription thing with the labels uh, uh, sort of blessing or the, yeah, like that's sort of the, um, uh, I think where we saw this like fundamental misalignment of incentives between like treating artists as resources when they should be treated as like owners and operators of businesses and, you know, financially incentivizing their respective business with like the broader sort of platform or networks kind of, you know, stability and, and success um, was where we saw the opportunity to kind of do something here. Um, and, and it wasn't just SoundCloud. I think we happened to be coming of age in, in that era when SoundCloud was like this sort of, you know, SoundCloud was where culture was was made in music, right? Like from 2012 to 2015, like that was the only thing that mattered, right? Like people would literally go release things on SoundCloud and not bother to release them anywhere else because all their engagement was coming from SoundCloud. And like, it's crazy too, to think about how much that has changed between 2015 and, and today. Um, but that, that kind of the community there sort of died and, and, you know, yeah, again, like the, the takedown issue was like a symptom of, of this, but the broader kind of issue that existed there was that like SoundCloud did not really care about their artists and their creators, right? Like they, they, there was no sort of incentive alignment towards like helping those people do well. SoundCloud's business model today actually is like charge creators, charge artists to upload content and to host content, charge listeners or like show advertisements to listeners when they listen to the content and then pay the labels a ton of money and then be unprofitable as a business afterwards, right? Because they, they have to pay the labels so much that they like can't sort of, you know, afford to operate, right? And like no one actually, none of those three parties are happy with the current state of affairs, right? Like the labels feel like they have no sovereignty or like negotiating leverage around like how their content gets shared or how their content gets priced or, or whatever. Artists are like, we're, we're like paying you to give you content that makes you money. And then like, we don't get any of that money. That doesn't make sense. Um, and then on the fan side, the user experience sucks, right? Like if you try to go listen to something on, on SoundCloud today, you'll see like 15 ads and, and get, you know, very quickly get annoyed. So um, it's, it was just like this, what I guess what we heard across the board was like, this is not working for any of us. Um, and, and what I guess our, our sort of thesis around forming Audius was that, or our conclusion from all of that was that the problem is that these folks aren't like directly sort of um, financially incentivized to make the platform successful. It's actually quite the opposite. Like it, from the perspective of all of those folks interacting with the platform, their incentive is towards like making sure that many platforms exist and supporting them such that like no one platform gains monopoly status as we're starting to see with Spotify today, right? Like Spotify actually is almost, um, uh, you know, when you see the moves that they're starting to make to try to consolidate their position, um, uh, you know, they, they feel that they're operating from a position of like monopoly power, right? And um, our, our kind of rethinking of that approach was to say like, what if music distribution could be a public utility, right? Like a publicly owned and operated good that um, uh, everyone kind of has the opportunity to equitably benefit from uh, and transparently benefit from so that like there are no backroom shady deals happening. There's no, um, uh, you know, preferential treatment given to larger groups over smaller groups, like all, all of these things that, um, I guess like all of that rhetoric is what's like resonated so much with the artists coming to Audius. Um, they're choosing to upload things exclusively to Audius because of that. And then that's driving the fan behavior, right? Which is, you know, super fans of a given artist are coming to Audius to listen to like pieces of their catalog they, they can't find anywhere else. Yeah, that, that's really 
insightful. I'm like standing here. I'm just like, I'm in like, you, you talked about, <laughs> it was like a casual roast of SoundCloud, which was, which was cool to hear. And it was super coherent and organized and, um, you know, just makes a lot of intuitive sense. Uh, I guess a good place to start might be, you know, in, in digging a little deeper in this thing. Uh, you talked about how artists are not incentivized to be on SoundCloud to share, you know, to bring their fans to SoundCloud. It's actually very bad for them. It's also kind of bad for the fans with the ads. It's also not great for the music labels and it's not even good for SoundCloud because they're losing money through all of it. Um, with the artists, as far as I've seen, like you guys have taken an artist first approach where obviously, you know, you want the consumers to enjoy the product as well, but it seems like you're betting on kind of, if we build it, they will come in terms of collecting some of the best artists in the world on your platform having them kind of bring their fans over because it's it's you know profitable uh to among other things to do so uh how did you kind of come to this artist first first approach if, if that's right yeah that's that's exactly right um and and uh that actually was really inspired by um uh justin khan is an, an advisor to audius and and has kind of been close with us for a while so he was one of the co-founders of of uh twitch and one of the little like nuggets of learning that i actually took away from sort of conversations with him and and more broadly around uh how twitch was able to like grow their creator audience they just hyper focused on serving the creator at the expense of everything else like uh, a story i heard was actually that like you know when they were getting ready to uh go through the sale process uh with amazon it's like amazon kind of you know approached them and wanted to buy uh, uh the company or whatever like they didn't even have like instrumentation on the sort of like fan or viewer side of things to be able to like share a lot of the metrics that like folks needed to know because they just didn't care about them all they cared about was like do our creators like us and do they keep coming back and do they like value what we're giving them? Right. And the thinking was that if we can build the best thing possible for our creators, um, they will choose to support us and eventually like bring their fans to us over time. Um, and that's kind of exactly the approach that, that we've been taking with Audius as, as well, right. Where, um, you know, musicians we're focused on, you know, so far focused on musicians who control the rights to their own content, which means that they have the legal right to go upload that content like wherever they want. Um, and that is the category of folks that we want audience to hyper serve, right? Those are the people who should, it should be like so obvious for them to use audience because it helps them earn more, connect with their fans better and own their audience, right? To have control of their audience that they've, they've built up in a way that like, um, uh, you know, they, they sort of have never, have never had before. Um, and then win, win by that, right? If, if creators choose to share things with audience that like they don't share elsewhere, um, the fan base that they have will eventually start to like come hang out here too, because they, get to listen to stuff here and, and find stuff here. So um, that's not to say like we don't care about the fan side. I, I guess what it is to say though is um, we see kind of building up our artist base and, and catalog as being kind of the most important um, uh, kind of, you know, step to to make audience something that matters in, in the world, right? Um, that's That's sort of the um you know the the tack that we've taken so far um and yeah interestingly right now actually even our ratios of uh you know we have about 40 uh 40, or so artists that have shared content on audius um we see like 1.2 million people a month listening to things here so like um you know we actually have you know quite a large base of of like listeners that are coming to audius every month to like find stuff i you know clicking through a link on twitter or like wherever else it, it might be um and uh uh you know sort of the driver behind all of that right is the creators sharing content here right like that's that's the um you know e even like all of our our rhetoric that we share publicly is is trying to like highlight that that fact right like you know, creators are what make platforms valuable and, and they should demand something in return for contributing that value. That, that's like how, how we've tried to like approach all of this. 
Yeah. So um, some of these early artists, can you talk about how some of them have come on board from like, you know, those early conversations you might've even had pre launch of the company to today when you've, you know, you've got 40,000 artists now, obviously there's some bigger names in there and, and some of the lesser names don't take any work, I'm sure. Uh, and some of the bigger ones might need a little bit of recruiting or they might find you, uh, you know, through another artist or, or something like that. Yeah. So um, I, I think our, our first like larger artist to, to sort of, you know, work with us and help advise us on like how we should be sort of approaching this and, and how we should be positioning things and, and everything else was uh, Blau. Uh, uh, so it, his DJ name is 3LAU, but it said Blau and his, his name's Justin, uh, Justin Blau. And he, um, uh, you know, actually like kind of joined us a, as an advisor in like late 2018. <laughs> so this was like, company was like four months old or, or something at that time. We had like no product. Um, and and it was sort of a, uh, uh, you know, he, so he has like quite a large following as as a, a DJ and a music producer. Um, you know, I think he has o- over 2 million folks listen to his music every month on, on Spotify and elsewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, he this was something that like he had been looking for for a while. He's also like very deep in crypto um like right now he's doing some experiments around nfts for example and and a number of other things but like he was the the sort of um you know like a you know basically started working with us like at a very key time and and helped us really like think about these foundational things right like how how should um audius go to market and, and exist and everything else um what was interesting though actually is like so so blau is really the one that like took the bet on us first right um and having one name that folks recognized actually made like subsequent conversations much easier right people were like oh these are not just like two you know two random kids trying to to tell us that like this music thing is is cool or whatever this is actually you know maybe something i should pay attention to um and i think the way this always works is these things snowball over time right as more and more people join a new thing and then their peers see uh uh one another joining um they too come uh, uh come join um but what really attracted uh, uh justin at that time to like wanting to work with us and wanting to like decentralize music distribution was that he as an artist just he was very uniquely positioned in that he happened to be like super into crypto and like trading crypto and, and doing a bunch of other things in during the 2017 boom um and uh, uh you know given his position of like having built up a, a very successful like kind of business of, of creating music and, and sharing music, um, he saw this very natural fit. So he was like actively looking for like wh- who, is, who is actually going to be able to crack this nut. And, and we were the team that he thought he thought could. Um, but kind of taking the broader picture of like how do artists more broadly engage with this, I think it's really um, uh, that SoundCloud analogy is like the easiest way to sort of unlock this for them. Um, Every artist who was making music in the early 2010s, I think remembers this era of SoundCloud very fondly. Um, And and our community on Audius is starting to like recreate that zeitgeist in in a way, right? Um, There's so much kind of like cool activity happening just because artists can come here directly and like do whatever they want. Right. And there are these very magical things that happen. Like a a lot of folks don't realize um, you, you as a artist or creator can't upload things directly to Spotify. You actually have to go through like a third party distributor who then places your content there. You have to plan releases very far in advance. Um, Whereas like some of the most interesting content that's come on Audius has been like, Oh, I like woke up today and made this cool beat. Like, let me chuck it up here and like see see what people think of it. Right? It, it's just such a different engagement model. Um, and and you know that's a broader thing. Like, we actually don't really see ourselves competitive with Spotify, being competitive with Spotify for that reason. But um, what we do see, I guess, is like Audius starting to like recreate this emergent behavior that that you know folks used to uh, uh, do on SoundCloud previously. So that analogy. I think is what you know kind of makes it click for most people and they're like okay like this is a community of like deeply uh invested like music creators and uh it's a place for me to like 
share cool stuff and like see what people think of it basically. Yeah. It's really interesting that you kind of go down that road because when I'm thinking about, you're talking about like basically lowering friction to upload versus a Spotify um, for, for the, for the artists and all of a sudden they're able to like upload a beat or like even like a work in progress or maybe something that's just like 30 seconds that they just came up with. And all of a sudden the nature of music could shift to some degree as well. I think with the popularity of your platform, um, it's really interesting to hear how, how Blatt was involved with the early days. I actually had him on the podcast a few weeks ago. Uh, didn't get that story though. So really cool to hear it here. Um, and I think, you know, he's obviously super forward thinking in everything crypto music and obviously overlapping. Um, so <laughs> makes a lot of sense and not necessarily surprised to hear that. Um, you talked about like, you know, you don't necessarily view yourself as a competitor with Spotify. I was thinking that earlier, like it sounds like you're on a trajectory where even though Spotify is acting as a monopoly and, you know, they're trying to now become like the home of podcasts as well with the Joe Rogan acquisition and things like that. Um, you guys are just doing a pretty fundamentally different thing uh, that is obviously decentralized and gives everyone who's a part of the network, uh, you know, rewards for contributing to the network, which I think is an awesome, you know, factor that crypto enables for businesses that just wasn't really possible earlier. You can't give, I just talked about this yesterday. You, you can't give like every Uber driver equity in Uber. It's just not practical nor legal for that matter. Um, so it's cool that, that you're, you found with the music industry, something that I think is widely regarded as fairly broken or at the very least not optimized for artists. Uh, and you're finding a way to better capture the value that people attribute to listening to music, which like everyone loves listening to music, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people. Um, so how do you think about like coexisting with, with Spotify, I guess, in the future? It's a great question. Um, and I, I think it's actually best explained by another analogy. So like in, in video distribution, you kind of have like at one end of the spectrum with the, the dimension of the spectrum being like how professional the content is and the distribution mechanics, like Netflix, Hulu, HBO now, um, like all of those like very professionally produced and, and sort of, um, you know, like very controlled mediums of, of distribution. Um, and then at the whole, like entirely other end of the spectrum, which I would kind of call like the wild west of like, you know, everyone can do whatever they want is YouTube, right? Um, where like those two categories of things can like coexist with one another in a way that they like very obviously don't compete, right? Like YouTube is this, you know, anyone can chuck up anything they want. Uh, most people aren't paying subscribers what they are is like seeing ads and like engaging with short form content like just different emergent types of content um whereas like netflix is like okay you're like 100 million dollar big budget movie like this is where that goes right um uh and and goes on different terms and everything else um we see the way spotify has structured themselves as really being suited towards and, and conducive towards being kind of like the Netflix of music, if you will, right? Um, like you have to go through a professional distributor to place content on Spotify. Um, you, you can't just upload stuff there. It takes time. It takes planning. Um, the way that sort of discoverability on Spotify works, it's, it's very, very difficult if you're not, um, you know, like a major, uh, a major label supported artist. So, um, where we see the opportunity in audio being is to compete on that like user generated wild west side of the spectrum where like anyone can share any cool stuff that that they want and um in, in audio that used to be soundcloud but like soundcloud's usage today is is about 20 percent of what it was at its peak like five to six years ago in terms of of uh, monthly users so like there's this kind of vacuum that's emerged there. Like no one does user generated audio uh, uh, anymore really. Like artists who, who used to share things in that way have now kind of tried to shoehorn Spotify into serving that role. And it like, it really doesn't, right? Like Spotify is a great place to release your like mastered, well-produced album that you spent like six months on or whatever. But like, you're not gonna chuck something up on your Spotify that like, you know, you've just 
just sort of like cranked out in the morning or, or whatever, right? So um, I think that's where we see the opportunity existing in audio to like have something with a much lower barrier to like uploading stuff as, as you mentioned. Um, so we really see Audius comp competing with SoundCloud like very head on. Um, and we actually think, you know, tools like Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, they're all playing a different game, right? Which is like, let's be a very, very professional source of music distribution to distribute like The Doors or like Led Zeppelin or like things things like this, right? Um, it, it's just it's just super different, right? Like, I don't think you would ever see uh, big YouTube creators like starting to share things on Netflix, for example, right? So I, I think that's where we see this opportunity opening up. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, you know, you can't necessarily say what, what YouTube's worth these days being part of Google, but uh, I think it's suffice to say, you know, both YouTube and Netflix are doing just fine. Uh, and so to take that analogy and apply it to music and put Spotify or, or Apple on the Netflix side uh, certainly leaves a, a t tremendous amount of room for opportunity for you guys. Um, last question, and then I, I want to give you the last word, but I uh, understand you guys did a significant token drop uh, a couple weeks ago. Can you talk about that and uh, how it fits into, you know, the future for, for Audius? Yeah, so uh, it kind of timed with um, uh, the launch, the, the public launch of the Audius network. So Audius as a product has been live for uh, over a year now um, and, and has, you know, grown its usage during that time to to where it is today um, but that was all operating in like an incentivized testnet kind of capacity so um, there were sort of node operators running nodes uh, on the network but they were doing so altruistically and in the hopes that like when the mainnet launches they would have a chance to um, kind of monetize the operation of their nodes so these nodes are hosting content indexing metadata and they have a, a few other tasks that that they kind of um, do to keep the network work um, uh, alive. Um, so with that um, mainnet launch happening, uh, we also, you know, Audius is a community owned and operated network, right? Like that's always uh, uh, sort of the, um, uh, been the vision for, for how this works. Um, with the launch of the token, we were actually able to fulfill that vision by distributing 50 million uh, audio tokens, the, the Audius platform token, to uh, the top 10,000 accounts uh, on Audius. So the way top account was, was defined was uh, uh, basically a, a formula that was designed in, in concert with a bunch of our, our kind of close community members' input and, and feedback uh, to try to value the combination of like, how many times content that your account has uploaded has been streamed, um, how much you have engaged with other people's content. So if you reposted other people's content, if you made playlists of other people's content, um, basically it was kind of like, like how much have you been using Audius? And based on that, like getting a relative score that gave you like a, a score weighted proportion of that total 50 million, right? So, um, among the 10,000 artists, we had folks, or, or sorry, 10,000 uh, accounts on Audius where the majority were artists, but uh, a very meaningful portion were also like curators of playlists and, and just listeners who had been engaging um, uh, a lot. Uh, the ranges of um, uh, uh, kind of reward that those folks were able to, uh, uh, to get were, uh, you know, all the way like kind of in the four to 500 token range at, at the smaller end, all the way up to like 50 to 60,000 tokens at, at like the larger end of the range. Um, so I think what was really cool with this was to see, um, you know, our artists were just so excited to have like have a seat at the table for the first time. So the point of the Audius token is kind of, there are three pillars of, of functionality in it. It's uh, staking. So securing the network by staking on nodes that operate and earning revenue by, by doing so. Um, it's feature access. So as an artist, you can stake the token to like access features um, uh, within Audius as, as they, uh, um, you know, as they continue to be rolled out over time. Um, and then it's governance. So as a, user of the token, you actually get to vote on any changes made to the network. Um, and the way that our governance system is structured, like the the project team that built the first version of Audius, like a, of which I, I am a part of, um, we actually can't 
change anything about it without the community's sign off and, and involvement, um, which is such a cool thing, right? It was like the whole, the whole ethos was um, uh, to create something that the community controlled and, and that the community like had, had the right to do with uh, uh, what they wanted. And this launch was the way for us to actually like realize that vision. Um, so on a going forward basis now, uh, uh, the Audius token supply inflates uh, or is issued at a rate of seven to ten percent per year off of the um, uh, off of the base that that uh, uh, we began with, and that seven to ten percent inflation is actually all being distributed back to uh, um, you know folks who are participating in the community. So the the reason we structured it in this way and and you know where we got a lot of really great feedback from uh, uh, our community uh, in structuring it in this way was to basically create an opportunity to like earn or, you know, earn a seat at the table over time in Audius, no matter when you show up, right? Like, and, and uh, that kind of issuance will actually continue in perpetuity, right? So um, as a creator in, in Audius and, and as a node operator in Audius or like as any sort of productive community member in Audius, we believe like you should have an opportunity to to kind of start to aggregate control of of the underlying tools uh, over time in in that in that process. Yeah, it's really cool. I mean, it's it's got to be so tough to. There's so many considerations. It's so tough to nail that at this stage with a consumer app where it's just such unprecedented territory. Um, but it's you know I like the way that you've described it the way that you're thinking about it. I think you've certainly been extremely thoughtful from, you know, pre-launch, pre-build of the company to today and thinking about how to give people who might not discover Audius for a few years, the opportunity to, um, you know, earn a, earn a seat at the table, like you said, with, with a lot of contribution, um, whether it's engagement or uploading songs or whatever it might be. Um, you know, I could talk more about this stuff, but I know we're coming up on time. So uh, I want to wrap it up there. But thank you so much, Roniel, for, for coming on today. It was super fascinating to, to hear about Audius and your story. Uh, and, you know, I, I did some diligence in advance, but just after talking to you for an hour, uh, I'm super bullish on, on Audius. And I'll just say that publicly. I think it's, a, it's an awesome idea and you guys are executing really well. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for the kind words and, and thank you so much for having me. Um, so yeah, if, if anyone wants to learn more about Audius, uh, you can uh, check out our, our Twitter is probably the uh, uh, sort of the authoritative place to get announcements, updates, etc. It's uh, at Audius project is, is the handle. Um, there's also a discord community and, and other things you can come hang out in, but uh, come hang out, give us a shout and uh, you know, our, our community is, is very, very welcoming to, uh, to newcomers. We'd love to, we'd love to see you around.